Pastor Hammond and David shows up on the scene and suddenly something stirs up within David because he hears that Philistine defying the armies of the living God and a boldness gets over him and say hold up one second he's coming against the children of God and he says you know what I'm gonna go out and fight this battle because you know what at the end of the day this battle make your way back to your seats amen somebody tell your neighbor God is large and he's in charge somebody turn to your other neighbor say God is large and he's in charge amen Woo! hey I'm excited for tonight amen amen so many incredible things happening here in the house of God people getting baptized in Jesus name people getting filled with the Holy Ghost I don't know about you, but that sounds like revival to me. People getting healed in Jesus' name, cancer being remitted. I'll tell you what, that sounds just like the book of Acts to me. We're having revival in the last days. Amen. Amen. You can stand all across this house. It is my privilege and honor to bring to you no stranger to this house, but Reverend Nixon Dowdy. Amen. Y'all give it up, my brother in the Lord. 
And this time he did not come by himself. He brought his wife, Kaylee Dowdy. Woo, we're so honored that she's here in the house tonight. Amen. I'll tell you what, Reverend Dowdy is an anointed man of God. Come on, somebody. Do I have any witnesses in the house? Amen. He is anointed and called by God to preach the gospel. And I am super excited for what God's getting ready to do tonight. And brother, we just want you to come. We want you to have your liberty. We'll shout with you. We'll weep with you, whatever you want. Can somebody clap your hands and thank the Lord one more time? As Reverend Nixon Dowdy comes to prepare the word of the Lord. Come on, somebody, can you clap your hands and thank the Lord? Hallelujah. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord this evening. Come on, are you thankful? You could have been anywhere, but you chose to be in the house of God. What a good decision that was. I know that um, several of you have been at school today or at work, and uh, I honor you for being in the house of the Lord here tonight when your bishop is gone. And uh, I just, I feel a word here tonight. And uh, can we just partner together? Would that be all right? Amen. I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verse number 15. And while you're turning there, I want to give honor where honor is due. And even though your bishop and first lady are not here, you can still feel their spirit. And amen. Go ahead. And I think that that is the testament of a great man and woman of God, that even when they're not at their home church the church that is still here still knows how to have church amen and I'm, I'm thankful for them thankful for their friendship and uh, they, they always make me feel so welcomed here and uh, I give honor to brother Slaw sister Sloss and just all the ministry team that makes this thing go round give them honor here tonight yeah Give it up. That's right. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I saw that Isaac got married and had a kid, and then uh, I saw that Judah was fixing to get married, and God, whoever let Trevor fixing to have a kid, I don't know, but I figure I might as well get married, and so I'm thankful here tonight to have my wife. We've been married five months, best five months of my life, and uh, thankful for her, thankful that she could be with me. We've been traveling several months now, and uh, we've been growing together, so I'm thankful for that. Um, and then I want to honor, honor the body of Christ here tonight. Rock Church, I say it every time I'm, I'm here, you are an inspiring bunch of people. And your dedication and commitment to the apostolic things of God is just next to none. And I honor all of you here tonight, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And uh, yeah, you can give it up for yourselves. That's right. Yeah. 
Let's take our time here tonight. And uh, you always make me feel so welcome. And, and I, I'd appreciate it if you would extend that, that hand of fellowship to my wife as well. She'll love to meet each and every one of you. And please, please get to her after service. She'll want to meet. She's a little bit of an unnecessary hugger, but you'll get used to it. And she hugs even when it's not the right time, but it's all right. God bless her. I don't, I don't know what your expectation of tonight is, but I know what his expectation is. And I think that the Lord can do a big work here tonight. And I think that if you're willing to ask for big things, he'll give it to you. I think if you need deliverance, you can have it. I think if you need healing, you can have it. I think if you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost here tonight, you can have it. Come on, does anybody believe that? I don't know what you came expecting on a Tuesday night when your bishop and first lady are out of town, but I'm telling you that God sent you a preacher here tonight that believes in the miraculous, that believes in the things of God. Hallelujah. Do you believe God's going to do something big here tonight? Amen. Well, can I just preach you what God's given me? Judges chapter 16, verse number 15. Several of you will recognize this portion of Scripture, but in case you don't, we've got the story of, of Samson. And Samson is with Delilah, and she is curious as to where his strength comes from. And she puts him in a vulnerable position. And he tells her, if you'll bind me with ropes, then my strength will go from me. If you'll put vines around me, my strength will go from me. If you'll pin up my hair and braid it, my strength will go from me. And this is where we find ourselves. And Delilah said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. Came to pass when she pressed him daily. Everybody say daily. She pressed him daily with her words, urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death. That he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite and a God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come up this once for he hath showed me all of his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up under her, brought money in their hand and she made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks on his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. I then want you to turn over in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 13. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 13 says it this way. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. Because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished 
and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself. Everybody say herself. Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory, their multitude, their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. One translation said, therefore hell hath enlarged herself, even enlarged her desire. What you need to realize here tonight is that hell was willing to go through a reconstruction to reach you. Hell was willing to craft and mold and shape itself to reach you. The hunger of hell, it's never satisfied. The thirst of hell, it's never quenched. But hell is chasing after you tonight. I just want to tell somebody here in case you don't believe it, but it is the will of God that every person makes it to heaven. It is the will of God for you to make it. It's the will of God for you to have deliverance. It's the will of God for you to be the head and not the tail. It's the will of... Come on, I thought I was at the Rock Church. Come on, it's the will of God for you to be the lender and not the borrower. Come on, if you believe that, I want you to clap your hands all over this place right now and just begin to magnify the name of the Lord. Come on, if he never does another thing for you, he's already done too much. Come on, does anybody love him? Why don't you throw your hands up in the air right now and just begin to tell the Lord just how much you love him. Come on, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. So I just want to preach to you from this thought for just the next little bit. Hell wants to take care of you. Hell wants to take care of you. I know that we already did it, but I think you ought to just lift your hands right now and just begin to ask God to open up your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit to receive what he has for you here tonight. Come on, Jesus loves you. The grace, the mercy, the love of God is reaching for somebody right now. Come on, you're not too far removed. Come on, the love of God is reaching for you right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you love what you feel in this place right now? Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you look good on a Tuesday night. Amen. You may be seated. I hope we ain't got any liars in the house. It seems to me that God is in the separating business. Um, he is interested in dividing his people. God prefers unity, and he prefers unity at any cost. However he's got to get there, he'll get there. Whether it be severing and deleting from existence, he's willing to do it. 
God is interested in the separating business. Matter of fact, in the first bit of creation, God separates light from darkness. He's interested in divine separation. And not just separation as we know it from a sanctification and a holiness standard. And he is interested in that. But he is interested in separating the way that you talk, the way that you think, the way that you act, the integrity and the character in which you carry yourself. God is in the separating business. And if you study this, his word for very long, uh, you'll see this constant theme all throughout scripture. He separates light from darkness. He separates the clean from the unclean, the holy from the unholy, the righteous from the unrighteous, the good from evil. And he even separates the church from the world. Now today on a Tuesday night, he's looking for somebody to move beyond the things that are hindering you from a closer walk with him. I think that if I asked everybody to close your eyes right now and begin to self-evaluate and examine what is the one thing or what are a few things that are keeping you from a closer walk with him, you would be able to identify it very quickly. You would know what's keeping you from a closer walk with God. You would know what is keeping you from greater depths. You would know what's keeping you from proximity with him. Come on, can I get a witness in this place? You would understand very quickly in your inner man what's keeping you from a closer walk with him. And so I'll ask you the question here tonight, how long will you allow the potential that is inside of you to lay dormant? How many words do you have to have prophesied over you before you get your act together? How many times must Bishop lay his hand on you before you get it? How many times must First Lady pray over you before you decide that this is the road that you want to walk down? Come on, I know this church is interested in shouting, but I'm just going to talk to us for a little bit if that's all right. How long will you allow the potential to lay inside of you to just be there? You see, we get caught up. There's two calls of God on each person's life. The first call of God that you have on your life is what I call the primary call of God on your life. And the primary call of God is what is happening and the here and the now. It's what you can be doing with what you've been given right now. The second call of God that everybody's got on their life is the prophetic call of God. And the prophetic call of God is what is going to happen in the future, down the road. And you see, where we get mixed up as the 21st century church is we always want to be caught up in what's coming and not what happens right now. Because what's happening right now is going to cost you some personal responsibility. And personal responsibility costs us something. It costs us discomfort. It costs us doing things that aren't uh, usual for us. Things that go against the grain of our flesh. Matter of fact, this was a 
this was a struggle for Moses because what you must realize is that this man, Moses, may be, in my opinion, the greatest man in the Bible other than Jesus. He grows up in an Egyptian culture where he has been indoctrinated with all different types of language and culture and uh, military tactics and anything that the world has to offer. And it is just like the Lord to sentence him to the backside of the desert. And the first task that he is given is the task of tending to another man's sheep. But what you need to realize in Egyptian culture that there is one animal that is more unclean than the rest. In Egyptian culture, there is one thing that stands out to the rest, that there is something you cannot allow on your land. There is something that you cannot allow in your house, and that animal is that of one of sheep. Because there are some of you here tonight that this world has told you that being a part of this thing is unclean. Being a part of this church, being a part of this gospel, it's not normal. It's not what you're supposed to be doing. But I came to tell somebody that if you are under the sound of my voice right now, you are right where you need to be. Come on, I know I'm taking a little bit of time, but I came to speak to the doubter. I came to speak to the one that is unsure. I came to speak to the one that is in the valley of decision, wondering, is this life for me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm telling somebody right now that if you are here, you are in the will of God. Does anybody feel like making up in your mind tonight that you are right where God wants you? <clears throat> and Moses, he lives a life of this constant separation. Uh, teaching it, living it, instructing it, guiding the children of Israel by these patterns, by this example. And Moses comes in contact with a man by the name of Korah who stages a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and the priesthood because he feels cheated. He feels like he's not been given what's been owed of him. He's sacrificed and toiled and, and he's been there, done that, and he becomes upset with Moses and Moses makes a peculiar statement to him. He says, Seemeth it but a small thing, Korah, that God has separated you to bring you near to himself. And now Moses begins to beg and to plead with this man because he understands the pain of separation. He understands what it's like to leave everything that you've loved. He understands what it's like to walk away from everything that's been comfortable for you. And so he begs and he pleads with Korah, please don't despise the process. Please don't get upset with where God is taking you. Please don't get uh, angry with everything that God is putting you through because there's power in the outcome. He says to him, 
You're wondering why all this separating's taking place. It was never meant to destroy you, Cora, but it was only to bring you closer. And I want to speak to somebody right now. You feel like you've just been going through it. You feel like you've been giving up. You feel like everybody else is getting blessed and you're not. You feel like the sickness in your body will never be healed. I want to speak to that devil real quick. Everything that you've been going through, everything that you've been upset about, all of the isolation, all of the, the loneliness that you've been going through has been God-ordained. But the reason that he did it was not to make you upset and not to make you mad, but it was all about bringing you closer to him. I've put something in my prayers every day, and it is the prayer of Jesus. I offer no resistance. When I wake up in the morning, when my feet hit the ground, the first thing I say, Lord, this is your day. Today, I offer no resistance. You see, because the 21st century church, we're control freaks. I didn't know that the clay got to tell the potter what they wanted to be. But with humility, every morning when I wake up, I want to say, God, I offer no resistance. Whatever you want to do in me today, God, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go today, God, I'll do it. Whoever you want me to reach today, God, I'll reach them. I wonder if anybody's got that in their spirit today that said, Jesus, whatever you want to do with me, make me a willing vessel. God, I don't want to have preconceived notions. God, I don't want to have agendas. But God, I want to be your man. Do I have to remind you that we're the only thing in creation that tells him no? When he speaks to mountains, they move. When he talks to chains, they fall. I wonder what would happen if you'd get a yes in your spirit. Whatever you need, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want, God, I'll do it. Bishop, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. I'll be it. I offer no resistance, Jesus. You see, where we get in trouble is we, we start diminishing the work at hand. We despise the sifting process. We get frustrated with the new territory. We feel betrayed by a God that perhaps took us away from the things that we love. I, I, I don't know about you, and, and I'm fifth generation Pentecost, but I, I'm naive enough to know that he pulled me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm not naive enough to know that I wouldn't make it without him. My prayer on the way over here was, God, I'm nothing without you. I'd be messed up. I'd be in a bar somewhere. I'd be reaching for something I ought not to if it wasn't for you. Come on, do I got anybody willing to testify here tonight that without him, I'd be messed up? I'd be... Is this all right, Brother John? All right, I'm finished with point number one. You can be seated. I'll start preaching. So we find here pretty quickly that with all of the separating that God has done, perhaps the greatest and the biggest divide is that between heaven and hell. 
I uh, can remember my father's my pastor. My grandfather was my pastor, now my bishop. I can remember them on Sunday nights or on our midweek that they would preach and teach about the end times. They would preach about hell and coincidentally, ironically enough, we would be driving home that night and the moon would turn red and it would look like the blood moon and everybody would be crying on the way home. And my, my pastor, my father would tell me as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old little kid, he'd say, well, Nixon, hope you got what you wanted here tonight because God could come. Hope you don't go to hell. It's fun for an eight-year-old little kid to hear, right? He gave me a healthy fear of the Lord from an early age, reminding me that at any point, it could happen. Reminding me that at any service, you better get exactly what you need. Don't be distracted here tonight. Don't put it off here tonight. Don't wait until Bishop returns, but tonight, you could have a directional change. Tonight, you could get your blessing. Tonight, you could be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as he would teach me these things and he would talk to me about hell, how bad hell could be, I then began to realize how great heaven would be if we made it. Come on, I don't want to have an attitude that I'm just running from hell. That's the only reason I want to get to heaven. But I want to get to heaven because there is a Savior that robed himself in flesh and died for me. Come on, if all you ever have been is scared of hell, I want to preach to you tonight how great hell, heaven can be. And I came to tell somebody that heaven is obtainable. It's not some faraway place, but there is a Savior that is reaching for you here tonight. If you've never repented of your sins, there is an altar where you can find the blood of Jesus that can wash away every sin. And you can throw your hands up in the air and God can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost and we've got water and you can go down in that watery grave and your sins can be tossed in the sea of forgetfulness. Come on, do I have any blood-brought believers in this place that are thankful for the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ that have got the name of Jesus stamped? Come on, I know it's Tuesday night, but can I preach to you about the name of Jesus that when nothing else was there for you, Jesus was there. When you were struggling to go to sleep, when you almost got in that car accident, the name of Jesus was there. Is anybody reaching for heaven here tonight? Come on, I think you ought to just throw your hands up in the air right now and just tell Jesus how much you love him, how much you need him. God, I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your mercy. You, it's, 
interesting to me, Brother Trevor, that Isaiah writes that hell is a she. It's got a feminine connotation. It's linked and described with mercy and safety and care and even comfort because we know that it is in the genetic makeup of women to have all of those attributes. To be, to be the thing that brings peace, to be the thing. Come on, do I have any married men in the place here tonight that are thankful for a godly wife that pr provides these things? But we understand that genetically, women are privy to that. They're linked to it. And yet here it is, Isaiah, that's telling us that hell has these characteristics. The harlot in Revelation, that is a catalyst for sin. She was a seducer who seduced by way of comfort and convenience and beauty. You see this again in Revelation chapter 2 with the church of Thyatira. The Bible says that the angel speaks to him, to them and says, I appreciate thy works, thy patience, and, and even your charity. But yet thou suffers the woman Jezebel to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed unto idols. The spirit Jezebel, it wasn't about forcing or holding a gun to their head. It was all about teaching and seducing and calmness and a whisper. It was about comfort. You know, because when the children of Israel when they were tormented and beat up, they knew how to get out of it. Now, I don't want to get the cart before the horse here tonight, but it was just like the devil to allow something into their lives that brought peace. Some of you have been reaching for peace. The wrong thing's handing it to you. The Spirit that is crippling the apostolic church. It's one of comfort. And I know I'm preaching the choir here tonight, but I've just had to put in me for too long to tell you that that is the beauty of praise and worship. Do you realize that praise and worship was the great divide between heaven and hell? It wasn't that the devil had an issue serving. It wasn't that the devil couldn't take instruction and correction. But it was that when the devil was asked to fall down and worship him, he couldn't do it. That's why worship is the great revealer of the carnal. When you struggle to stay, come on, the best thing that you can do is stay in your seat here tonight. The thing that the devil wants for you is to sit there and act like, well, this service ain't for me. Come on, it's just Tuesday night. Don't he know that I've just sat around, I've worked all day, I've had a long day, my back hurts, my feet. But you've got an opportunity to show God here tonight that no devil in hell can stop me because I'm a praiser first. Oh, you ain't hearing me right now. 
I wish somebody would let the devil know that I'm not going to be comfortable in my predicament. I'm not going to be comfortable. Praise and worship, it's the great divide. If you're struggling to feel God, don't sit there and try and figure it out. Start praising him. I'm tired of hearing apostolics say that they just, they don't feel God like they used to. And I just, I just and look, I know who I'm preaching to here tonight. I know that 90% of you don't understand what I say at all because you know how to worship. But I'm reaching for the 10% right now that are saying, I haven't felt God in a while. What do I do? Come on, anybody ever been there? I want to give you the remedy. The Bible says that when the spirit of heaviness comes upon you, you've got a remedy called the garment of praise. And who's interested in praising their way out of it right now? Who's interested in worshiping themselves out of Egypt right now? Come on. I know that I've got some things I've not seen yet. I've got some promises that haven't been fulfilled yet, but I'm going to praise them anyway. I just felt a, a notion in my Holy Ghost right now to share this. In the last three years, I've had an uncle that was backslidden a preacher's kid for 40 years, pray back through, and three weeks ago, my other uncle that had been backslidden for 41 years prayed back through. Don't you give up on those prodigals. There's some babies that are coming home, but in the midst, don't you lose your praise. Don't you lose your worship. Don't you give up. Oh, come on. I know I've got some mamas and some daddies that haven't seen their babies come back yet, but I've got a praise in my spirit that says, God, I'm going to worship you until I see it. Is this all right, church? And I have about 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes. Is that all right? So, can I give you my jacket? Is that all right? Is everybody going to be intimidated by my large frame? It's hot up here, man. Got the fans out. Why don't we just turn up the heat a little more? Is that all right? The Bible says, the Bible tells us a decent amount of what hell is going to be like if or when you get there. The gnashing of teeth, darkness, eternal torment. We've got a pretty good indicator of what it's like. And I, I just, I don't, I think that we have taken those view of things and we think to ourselves, okay, well, if we were ever gonna go to hell, it would be the means of those things to take us and drag us there. There would be hounds of hell that rose from the earth and chains came up and pulled us reluctantly down to where we were going. 
But I would argue here today with the saints of God that it will not be those things that take you to hell, but it will more than likely be your state of comfort. Because you think to yourself, I don't, I don't get mixed up in those things. But are you comfortable? The everydayness of life, the good intentions. Intentions are still intentions. You've not done it yet. I've been meaning to get baptized. I've been meaning to start that Bible study. There is no, let me just tell somebody, there is no day like today. We've got water. You can be baptized. We've got altar workers that will pray with you. I'm reaching for somebody here tonight. You can have the Holy Ghost. It's going to be comfort that takes us there. You can be seated if you want. I'm not going to address it again. I'm, I'm going to just slow down here for a second. Stand, sit, whatever. Judges chapter 14. When Samson first comes on the scene, Hebrew literature and Hebraic scholars will teach that before Samson did anything, he first rebelled with his eyes. As it says in Judges four, chapter 14, and Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is proper in my eyes. Now Samson's parents, they immediately, they began to beg and plead with him to find something else, not just the first thing that catches your eyes, Samson. We can find something better for you, but it's just going to take a little bit of time, Samson. And everything that we've fought for, everything that we've sacrificed for, everything that we've consecrated you to for, this goes against all of those beliefs. Now, ironically, the same enemy that captivated his sight were also the ones that gouged them out. Now, the enemy may have set up a snare for some of you here tonight and offered you something really, really great, something that you really, really like, but in the end, it's going to be the thing that takes away your ability to see beyond what the world wants you to see. And because when you lose your eyesight to the things that are proper in your sight, you become subject to the things that they put in your hands. Samson, we took out your eyes. Now today you'll grind at the mill. Today you will walk in a circle. See, because... And if you got to know me, I'm a nice guy. I don't typically preach like this, but I felt this word burning in my spirit the last couple of days. You need to realize that everything you think you've got a grip of, you've got a hold on, you don't have a hold on it like you think you do. Matter of fact, what you do have a hold on is what they're putting in your hand. Because, Brother John, we love the tangible. We love what we can hold on to. We love what we can pull and, and drag which way but your hand is empty until they put something in it. And it's never gonna be what you like. The Bible says that Lot looked at the well-watered plains of Sodom. He looked at it, he saw it. Thought to himself, get me out from the umbrella of the oppressive uncle, 
the one that is too demanding of me, the one that's got too many restrictions and too many rules, get me away from it, but I'd rather go to Sodom because it looks good. And Abraham pleads with him. He says, no, come up to the mountain with me. And I can imagine saying, Lot would say it like this. The journey on the mountain's hard. The valley is easy. The mountain takes work. The valley's got the goods. The valley is, it's where I want to be and what did that place of comfort end up looking like? Hell on earth, fire and brimstone. God's been trying to disrupt some of your retirement plans. Because as you settle into comfort, you settle into everything that Sodom has to offer. The seducer comes to the garden. Bible says that this beast was subtle, more subtle than anything on the earth. But Eve looked at the tree and saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. God, you're not giving me what I want. God, you're not giving me the knowledge and the understanding. God, you're not giving me the pedigree and the position that I'm looking for. So the thing that is pleasant to me, I desire it first. It was subtle. You think hell's coming after you? Guns blazing. It's just wanting you to sit back a little longer and just keep pushing off those deep commitments with him. Now, it is difficult to mention Samson without Delilah. You can't really tell the story without getting and describing her in the story. Now, some like to point to Delilah's name as her destiny, as this is often the case with biblical names, but there is actually no uh, consensus by the, the Hebraic community as to the meaning of Delilah. Some say it means feeble. Some say it means weak. Some say it means hair, some say it means delicate, but it is actually quite likely that Delilah wasn't even her given name. It was probably a title or a nickname given to her by Hebrew writers, which is actually an extremely common occurrence in your Bible. One writer I read of suspected that she was uh, even a backslidden Jew and a Philistine convert. So these Philistines, they're racking their brain on how to defeat the strongest man to ever live. How do you defeat a man that only knows victory? That every time something comes against him, God's with him. What do you do with it? We've thrown armies at him. We've taken weapons away. He picks up a jawbone and beats us anyways. What do we do with this man? The defeat comes in the form of Delilah. It is suspected that the writers use Delilah's name more as a reflection of what took Samson. Feeble, a 
able to be conquered, enticing, delicate, proper, comforting. David couldn't be defeated by giants. He couldn't be defeated by wicked kings. He couldn't be defeated by a lion or a bear. But he comes home from battle. And somebody's sitting in the window. What will we do to take out God's anointed? We can't overpower, but we can comfort. And you want to know how serious this is? I have Bible for it, Brother Trevor. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, except for in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God could wash it away. God could toss it away. God could put it in the sea of forgetfulness, except for in the matter where David got comfortable. God said, I can't stand those that settle into complacency. I'm trying to speak to somebody right now. You've got a touch of God on your life. You've got promises of God on your life. And for whatever reason, you've allowed the everydayness of life to put you in a position of comfort where you say, well, they've already got enough help. They've already got enough worship. They've already got enough Bible study teachers and altar workers. That was the greatness of Joseph. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife pressed him daily. Every day she comes in Give it to me, Joseph. I can offer you great things. And every day there was real consistency. There was integrity. There was character with Joseph. Now, come on, Kendrick. I'm, I'm wrapping up, man. Is this all right, church? Can I have five more minutes? The Bible says that Delilah is from the Sorek Valley. Sorek means choice vines. Now, choice vines biblically were something to be desired. God even references them in places of blessing and, and places of getting what you want when people ask. They said, I want choice vine. And God says, that's something to be desired, something I can give you. And it is where Delilah is from. Sorek, the place of choice vines. Now, you're going to believe here today that hell has nothing to offer you, but it is often the place that brings forth the things that we desire the most. Now, she lives in the Sorek Valley. Now, geographically, this is between Samson's hometown of Menehe Dan and the Philistine town of Timnah. Now this valley itself, between these two strongholds, between these two opposing nations, the valley was a geographical place of compromise 
between the Philistines and the Israelites. Because the place where hell resides is in the place of comfort. It's in the place of blessing. I know you think I'm beating a dead horse tonight, but I'm just trying to get somebody to understand that the place that's reaching for you right now is the place of compromise. Because what we love is we, we love a place that doesn't allow real warfare or battle. Where we can take what we want from both sides and intermingle the two and say, this is a peaceful place, Brother John. This is a safe space. This is a place of blessing. I got the promotion when I cut out going to service on Sunday nights. Isn't it? It's astounding to me that compromise always takes place in the valley. The valley of Sorek, the valley of Sodom, the valley of Elah. The Bible says that when Goliath issues its challenge, he doesn't say, We're going to wipe all of you out, brother. But he says, If I defeat your man then you'll be our slaves and if he defeats me then we'll be your slaves the enemy isn't looking to wipe you out but it's looking to compromise with you and what is it about the valley that's so important it's always at the low point in your walk with God that the devil and hell extends that hand of peace. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for answers. The devil says, okay, I got it. Here's peace. Here's direction. Because it is not often that God operates in the valley, but he's interested in seeing what you'll do and how you'll act once you're in it. Jesus has not left you. He's not forsaken you. But he's interested in knowing how you'll respond when you don't have the, the comforting care and you don't have the peace that passes all understanding in your life right now. I'm close with this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to preach this long. The fact of the matter here tonight, please, if you haven't heard anything else, hear this right now. The fact of the matter here tonight is that hell is not trying to drag you down, but it is looking for you to lay your head in its lap. I can't kill you, Samson, when you're fighting, but if I can get you to put your head in my lap, 
I'm reaching for somebody here tonight as you make your way towards this altar. You've not felt the peace like you've wanted. You've not had the answers like you've wanted. And there's been something in your life that's been extending an olive branch saying, just compromise. Just cast your cares on me. God's been reaching for somebody here today. You've become too comfortable. You've put yourself in a position of saying, I just don't think all the rules are for me. I just don't think all the church, all the prayer, all the fasting, all the word is for me. But God sent you a preacher on a Tuesday night to let you know that he loves you and he's still reaching. Come on, I think you ought to throw your hands up or bury your face in these stairs or in this floor right now and say, God, I'm recommitting. God, I'm still reaching. God, I'm still loving. Don't give up on me. Come on, hell's looking to take care of some of you here tonight, but heaven is reaching. Heaven's reaching right now. Heaven's looking. Come on, if you're not praying, find somebody to pray with right now. Come on, link up with your brother or sister right now. If you need the Holy Ghost, raise your hands right now and reach out to Him.
somebody. Just a few more moments. I need you to lift your hands. Come on, somebody, God. you 